Um, so yeah, my name is Nicholas. I'm basically like your, I'm a concept artist. I came to LA about like six or seven years ago. Um, and like, I just do whatever like work like comes my way and whatever I find interesting. Uh, I, I work on stuff generally for like video games, movies, theme parks, uh, all kinds of entertainment based things. Um, yeah, I've worked with Universal Studios a couple of times. Uh, a little bit with Disney and Jim Henson for some of their TV shows. Uh, also worked on a bunch of like pitch projects for animated films and TV shows. And lately I worked on my first video game for something that's coming out on the next Xbox. Oh, really, really cool. Yeah, second indie game. For second indie game. Ah, okay. That's pretty good. Have you always been a freelancer or have you have you worked in companies before? Uh, I've, I've done both. I, I started off when I first graduated. I worked in, um, I freelanced for a while and then I, I also worked and then like I transitioned to like a more full-time position at a design mm-hmm. studio in Pasadena where I did like the bulk of my theme park work. So a lot of like projects for like Universal Studios and bunch of like other parks around the world we kind of i did mostly from that company as like a full-time designer mm-hmm. and then like uh i think it was maybe like six months ago or something i i went back to like contracting again as like a freelancer and mm-hmm. yeah i've been doing that since kind of jumping here and there so what's it like being a freelancer in la because um, it's it's a very vibrant scene there right um is it is it tough is it um full of you know, opportunities or are there a lot of, uh, is there a lot of competition? Um, yeah, I would say it's like, there's, there's definitely like a lot of people or like who freelance around here. Just like, uh, I guess we call it like contracting kind of is like contract gigs that last from like three weeks to like a couple months usually. Um, and this just like, that's a pretty common thing here. Like I know a lot of people who do that. And, and, you know, there's competition at all, but a lot of it also depends on, like, the people you know. And, like, the more people you know, the more kind of work, more work you get. Mm. And I guess your portfolio at the same time. You know, it, and it is, I, I would think it's easier for us just because, like, uh, for example, for me, like, it's easy to hire me as, like, a freelancer. And then, like, I can just drive down to the studio and work in-house as a freelancer, you know, compared mm. to, like, people overseas who want to freelance for like triple uh, A studios here. They generally are much more picky with mm-hmm. hiring people overseas because like for us, like they treat us like we are in-house designers. It's just that our contracts are shorter. So like, that's mm-hmm. like a little advantage that we have. Uh, yeah, but I think it's the same for anywhere. Like freelancers have like that kind of like, oh, I wonder if I got work the next month kind of like mentality. <laughs> It's mm-hmm. the same, like no matter where you are in the world, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but how, how do you cope with that? I mean, it's 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 a reality, right? Um, when when yeah. you're kind of like running your own business, running your own show, and you know, you've got to be looking for opportunities, like yeah, how do you deal with that? Uh, a lot of Probably. it I it's luck. <laughs> like I don't really have like a game plan or like a secret formula to follow. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like sometimes like I know like certain months of the year, I tend to get more work. So like I will like stock up and do like a couple gigs at a time. 
sometimes like you know i was working like three or four like projects at the same time and those would be like my terrible months and then like i'll take like you know a couple months off in when people are you know in like september or like december like january mm-hmm. and that's when like people are working and i kind of just do my own thing um that's how i usually go about it also just like learning how to like price yourself well so that you take in take into account that like you're not going to have like stable work so you make sure you charge more or like you charge accordingly mm. uh, makes, makes it such that you know you can have some cushion in between the jobs if you cannot find work yeah mm. like mm. in general the, the simplest advice I could give I guess other yeah, than but- that it's <laughs> like luck you know just same as everyone else applying for work once in a while hoping mm. I'm just curious though uh, when, when you started out did you see yourself being a freelancer or did you did you um, stumble upon being a freelancer? Because everyone uh, who graduates just wants a job, right? That's that's yeah. Most people want to have that kind of security, wants that kind of uh, yeah, that kind of opportunity offered by a company. But yeah. how do you stumble upon freelancing? Uh, I, I guess I kind of fell into it. I remember when I first graduated, like you know, we all did like the rounds of like you know, like applying for like every company and studio, mm-hmm. and like. Or maybe like through the grad show, I had like a couple of like follow-ups from people who I met there. And like, I remember going to, doing, to do all the interviews, right? And like for the, those jobs, in like the first like month after graduation. And yeah. I think I just happened to pick the one that was a contract job for like three weeks. It was like a three-week job. You know, yeah. I had like, I had a bunch of offers for like either like full-time jobs or like, more longer term ones, but those jobs weren't didn't sound as interesting to me. It's just it, it sounded much more like not what I want to do. So I happened to pick the one I want to do, and it happened to be freelance, I guess, or contract. Mm-hmm. And that's how I kind of set my path that way, I guess. Um, but I've always been open to like a studio job. It's mm-hmm. Just that like mm-hmm. studio jobs tend to be more um, your work needs to look like their product kind of before they want to hire you like long term mm-hmm. and I think my work is a little bit more like I have a bit of everything like, I do like animation I do like live action video mm-hmm. games so it's hard to pinpoint like what this guy's all about so uh, it's a bit harder I think to get like big jobs that way but what's it like like you know moving between companies because like after working in say I mean you've been contracted for a while in a couple of companies and then all of a sudden you take on a new project and you have to adapt to a new style or a new yeah. uh, way of working. How, how how is it for you? Is it is it tough? Is it um? What are some I mean, of the strategies that you have to adapt? You know, to a new working environment. That's part of work. the fun. You know, that's why you do it. You get to like work on different projects at the same time. Uh, I I know like for me at least like the way I look at a lot of art these days, they kind of have like a rough like uh what would we call it like a rough like breakdown of like oh i can see this kind of art is more like focused on like form and like the edges are more like blend and like you know mix a brush blah 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 and this kind of art is much more like focused on like texture and like you kind of have a way to break it down in your mind like i think Mm -hmm. over time and like it becomes like a systematic thing for me where like i look at the art and all right now i know how i'm gonna do this probably like 80 percent of it and then the last twenty percent would be like on the day of like stressing out and like figuring out hopefully this works kind of thing. Um, but you know, 
a lot of projects, especially the ones I work on, like the blue sky phase and like the early stages, don't generally have as like strict of like an art direction. It's kind of a bit more like what you they would like to hire you to because they want your like little take on like how their product is gonna look like. Mm-hmm. Um, so they don't really go like, oh, this doesn't look like our work kind of thing. I always mm-hmm. assume in production is going to be more like that. But like for me, I don't think I've ever encountered a situation where, oh, that was one time. But I almost never encountered a situation where like someone was like, hey, this doesn't look like our style of like, you know, whatever it is I'm working on. Mm-hmm. Usually they're pretty like open to whatever I bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Also in like a lot of like theme park work, which was initially what I was doing, um, theme park style is like you know, it's, it's like it's the wild west there's so many like everyone's doing their own style kind of mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah so it was it was yeah pretty chill in that sense um, I'd say like the big difference when it comes to like jumping around and uh, a full time job would be like you meet a lot of people for like a couple of weeks and then you never see them again so mm-hmm. you know you either have to get really good at like mixing into like different company cultures because like even though you're freelancing here you're mostly working in-house at least the ones in LA Mm -hmm. so I I'm always going to like different studios to work in their office at like a temporary table so I'm always the temporary table guy Mm -hmm. and like you know everyone in the studio already knows each other and you're like the new guy so Mm -hmm. I'm like used to being the guy that doesn't know anyone in the studio kind of thing Mm -hmm. Uh, so like yeah it's it'll be it's good to like be able to like mix into a group as like as quickly as you can I think that's like a mm. good deal to have I it think can be, like, it can be you know unsettling for some yeah it is unsettling and I don't feel good at it <laughs> the first mm. week is always like super stressful for me you know the fir- the most difficult part is always the first day lunchtime and you're always wondering like okay this is like a new town new city for me I don't even know what food there is in the area. Do I be that? Am I going to be that guy again that uh, I got to approach a group of people going out for lunch together as friends? Mm. Can I join you? That kind of feeling. And it's always like a really, the most stressful part of the job is the first lunch. And like a lot of times (laughs) I've learned learned that like, you know, in LA especially, like um, Mm -hmm. I I remember when I first came over from Singapore, uh, I was like not used to the fact that like a lot of people here eat alone because like you know in Singapore right like you almost never like go out for lunch alone even if you're like by yourself you always like meet someone for lunch but like when you come here you look in like anything like restaurants and stuff you a lot of times you just see someone sitting alone and it's like a normal thing and like even though I've been here for a long time like sometimes for me I always still feel it's a little strange but like yeah these days I, I think I kind of approach it with like okay, I'm just going to like do my own thing for like the first couple of days. And then eventually I'll know someone enough where I'll be like, hey, you want to get lunch with me? And they usually <laughs> say yes. Right, right, <laughs> so right. I work, I work my way in slowly. Yeah. Other, mm. if, if not, you know, some companies will be like, hey, come join us for lunch kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Then like, I'm like, yes, I, I don't have to do this stupid like <laughs> process that I do every time. <laughs> So, so your strategy is to infiltrate them, right? By just doing, yeah, you know, slowly, doing your and creep, slowly, slowly creeping in groups, yeah. And you know, it's it's awkward, but like you you realize after a while, it's like 
you find it strange, but most people don't care. To them, it's like, yeah, it's just another guy hanging out, you know? Mm. Yeah. I remember there was one time I was working at, my friend was like working at a studio and like he recommended me for the gig and I, I, I joined the gig and I assumed I wouldn't have to go through this stupid process, right? And I was there on the first day and he didn't ask me out for lunch. He went off on his own. And he was the only person I knew at the studio. I was like, oh man, I'm back to this again. But yeah, it's fine. It's not a big deal. It's like, it's just a thing that everyone goes through. And like the older you get, I realize that they don't even care anymore. Like sometimes they hire like a bunch of us for a project. Like, and like, um, sometimes, you know, people, designers are in like their 40s or 50s. And by that point, they have been doing this like bouncing around gigs. Mm-hmm thing for like you know decades now and they totally don't care they just kind of come in they do their thing you know they make small talk if someone approaches them and then they go home they have like their own lives and their own network of friends they don't like mm-hmm. they're not like me who like try to like get to know people in every studio anymore because mm-hmm. to them they've done this so long that like they know these friendships are very like temporary mm-hmm. so they're, they're very focused right they're really mission it's like go in do my stuff. Yeah, they're just there to do yeah, the work. You know, not there to like make friends and network necessarily. And you know, it's kind of like the approach to networking in general is like you don't want to like go in with the intention to network, right? Because then you come off as like that guy. So you know, you just be yourself, I guess. That's the best way I can to approach any of these things. And you know, there are like studios that I remember, like I, I just never clicked with the people there as well. And, like, we're friendly, like, on the surface, but, like, it never, like, became anything more. And it's fine. It's, it's just a part of the thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, working with so many different companies, and, and like you mentioned, you worked on pitch projects as well. Um, has there been any instance whereby, you know, um, a client goes like, hey, you know what? Um, I want the, I mean, since you have worked with company XXX, can you produce work that's similar to the look of, XXX plus a little bit of, you know, the look of the other company and, you know, create something for me. For me, like years ago, it was like my first, like, I guess not through a company, but for myself, like as a, uh, as a design, like an artist, like uh, it was like the Jim Henson stuff. And, you know, they're famous for like back in the day, they are like uh, movies with the, the puppets and stuff. Mm-hmm. like Dark Crystal and Labyrinth and things. Uh, and I worked with them on like some of their upcoming shows that's going to be coming out this year. And like, um, once you put down your resume, like, um, you know, people kind of associate you to that brand now. And like, they'll know like, oh yeah, this guy's like one of those Jim, like Jim Henson style artists. And you get like a lot of like uh, people approaching you for the same look. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, I guess that's also like one of the ways how like, you know, you get more work as a freelancer is you associate your name, your brand to like all these other companies that kind of represent your art. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And a lot of times they always go in thinking they want the same look as the, those companies. But like, you know, it never generally, I don't think I've ever come across a case where like it actually is the same look, be it because like, um, they think they want to look, but then, you know, they also make all these decisions that go against that look. So it doesn't come out to be that look or like, uh, they make so many different looks from things they like together. It just becomes like a mishmash of things. 
mm-hmm. doesn't look like a thing. Um, but that's that's fine. I don't. They don't. They don't really care, and I don't really care either. It's just like another thing that um, happens. Uh, yeah. So it's not a big deal. So so you just you just kind of like just fulfill their request and. and- yeah, you know, you, I've, you don't like- I've never been the guy that be like, no, no, you should do it this way. I always kind of, because like, you know, you work with someone for three weeks. You're not going to form a relationship that's strong enough where you'll be like, no, I've, I strongly disagree. I want, I, I truly believe that this is the direction. Your project that you've been working on for like years should take, as a guy who's only going to do this for like three weeks, I don't care. To me, it's like, yeah, mm-hmm. if you... You want my like input on something, I give it. But if not, I'm just I'm the guy that just I draw whatever I want. I'm the I'm the art monkey. I do whatever you ask me. <laughs> yeah. So you, you uh, mentioned earlier, right, that, that you do what feels right for the art. So what feels right for, for you when you do your, uh, your usually, if any? Usually for me it's like the main two like distinction is always like uh what the project is, like stylistically and like, you know, the idea of the project and the, how much it pays, I guess, obviously. The way I usually structure it is like, um, I kind of do like one for me, one for them, kind of like, that's like my rule, which is like, I do one that I think is like financially rens- responsible and it may be, maybe it's not as fun, but it pays very well. I'll be like, okay, I'll take this, I'll take this gig. And then the, when I'm doing this gig, if the next one, when when I like looking for the next one, uh, I tend to be like more okay. Now that I did one and I have like a couple months of like cushion for this like one month of job, uh, mm. I can like find one that I want to do more, and then I'll usually pick one and even and those usually pay less, uh, but they're more fun, or mm. like it's a style I've always wanted to do. Or like this is a style that I've always like wanted to try and I never got a chance that I get paid to try it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. just like the idea for this game is super cool. And I was like, oh I like the idea for it. You know, then I'll I'll pick that one and I'll like prioritize it over some of the other jobs that I get offered that aren't as fun. But you know, also usually if even if it's like two jobs or three jobs, mm-hmm. you usually can like juggle between that if you work at night and like on weekends sometimes so it's never been like hard for me to like go like oh i have too many options to pick from it's never the case it's usually <laughs> like okay I'll, I'll i'll spend my energy on like this to earn money and then do some fun stuff on the side and then i'll do some fun stuff for a while and then i realize that okay the next like i should start looking for like the next you know financial gig i guess i can call it mm-hmm. and then i'll take mm-hmm. that one and then like yeah usually i kind of do Back and forth between the two. So it sounds like there is a mix, right? You have like jobs yeah. that are there for the money, right? And yeah. jobs that you know they are not necessarily they don't pay that much, but they are exciting to you for whatever reasons they are. And mm-hmm. you try you yeah. try to find a balance between them, right? Yep. And as you know, it could be any reason. Sometimes it's also, it's like some super random reason, like oh yeah, these people look fun to work with, kind of thing. You know, mm-hmm. then I just pick that one. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're 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 so fluid, and like I said, you you are able to just adjust so um, readily to things. Um, what does flexibility mean to you, as? Uh, honestly, I've never really even thought about it until like we talked, and like you made me realize that, like you know, that I'm not, re- I don't really have a game plan for my career. I guess 
Um, but I, I personally think that like uh, the way I see it is like, you know, you can plan all you want. Like you can make all these like long-term plans and like work towards your goals. And you, and you, and it's still kind of out of your control in a lot of ways, you know? Mm, mm. So the way I see it is kind of like, you know, why worry about that so much? Kind of just focus on what you want to do and see where it leads you. And, mm. you know, usually more often than not, things tend to work out. I think like it's, it's, it's really rare to me to find yourself in a situation where like, you want work at least in LA, and you just cannot find work. There's, you know, there's so many types of work. And if you're just open to the idea of doing it, like, you know, there's a lot of opportunities that may lead in directions that you didn't think you want in the first place, but you end up enjoying. And you kind of find your niche in that sense. Like, you know, for me, at least, I don't have a specific, like, goal in terms of, like, I want my art to look a certain way, you know? Like, when I'm working, sometimes it's, like, if my day job is very like realistic, live action-y, you know, mm -hmm. my personal work, I tend to do, I would do like, oh, like super like stylistic animation, this death thing. And then my job becomes like this death thing. I'm like, oh, you know, for my personal time, now I want to do like, you know, video game style or something like, you know, whatever the thing is. Mm -hmm. So like, it's always for me, like balancing out, like I don't want to just do one style the whole, because I, I find it difficult. I think I run out of like, things in that look really quick so you want I want to like have some distance from it so I can come in from like an outsider's perspective again mm. so it mm. works for me might not work for everyone um mm. but like yeah I, that's that's all I can say about that so what do you think is the core of your your, your kind of entire body of work I get brought on for a lot more like early phase where like it's about like, you know, they don't even have a script yet sometimes. Mm -hmm. They just have like a lock line and like the producers will be like, oh, this is, they talk to you about what the project is and then they'll be like, so what do you think? How do we sell this idea? And there's a lot of like, okay, I think like, you know, we, we flesh out like a couple of characters and then like, let's focus on like what scenes would sell your story in the most efficient way. Because, you know, a lot of these things, they don't, they don't have a lot of big budget for it yet. Obviously, mm -hmm. it's a lot of self-funded stuff. So it's like, okay, I can only afford like a specific amount of art. How do we take this amount of art and make it the best sell for my ideas possible? Mm -hmm. And I'll work with them on the story and like finding the beats that like most like, you know, show what they're trying to tell. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, there are a lot of these like little tricks to like making a deck look appealing. And that's kind of like what I like to do, at least. Right, right. But it sounds like you, you, you have some sort of um, niche, right? In the sense, you really enjoy building up books. I mean, when, when things are still kind of like blue sky and things are uncertain, yeah. that's when things can be super open-minded, mm -hmm. super open when, and when there's you're no free to play. Rules, yeah. Yeah. yeah, when there are no rules. So you're kind of like the, you know, the rule breaker. You just want to be the one that does that's everything. That's too cool. I don't know if I'll call myself the rule breaker. <laughs> just the guy. <laughs> yeah. Or you, maybe you are the one who builds the world at that time. Yeah. But you know, there's a downside to that. Like most of the times, you know, whatever art I do, the style that we, me and the producer end up coming up with, are like this, you know, it almost never, I, yeah, it never made it as into the final product. So mm -hmm. like you never see your work translated to like, 
you know, whatever you see on the screen, mm. which, you know, some people like, some people want that to, want to see what they did actually show up, you know, if not, it's like, what the hell, what's the point of any of this? Yeah. And like, I want that too, but it's just, it, nev- it never works out that way unless like maybe they bring you back for like production, which would be nice. It's just, I haven't worked long enough for that to happen mm. yet. Mm. So if you okay. want your work to show up on screen, you gotta get in later, I think. Yeah, do more production work. Then that mm-hmm. way, it would be definitely on screen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also, it's important to know, like, when it comes to work, you have to, don't fall in love with it. You know, it's not yours. It's ultimately it's their things, whatever you're working on. Uh, so, like, don't get too invested emotionally if it's not what you want it to be. Like, that's, like, a big thing I learned early on, especially in a lot of these, like, pitch things where like they always sell it as okay this is going to be our movie as if like it's part of my movie it's like it's not my movie at all you know ever even if you like have a big like part in it where like you change it to like now that is you change it to a point where like a chunk of it kind of belongs to you none of it belongs to you you're kind of you're just paid by the hour you don't own any of it and so you should not fall in love with it because things will always change and you will always be disappointed and mm. just gotta just move on. Mm. I think I think that's a very powerful way to frame this because um sometimes there, there, there's this distinction. Although I'm doing the artwork, but in the entire production, I do not own the entire production. The yeah. the script owner or, or maybe the director or someone else mm. owns the entire product. But the guy that I, pays for it owns the thing. None yeah, of exactly. the creative people own any of it. <laughs> Right, exactly. We are just we are just part of a. That's why it's a production pipeline. It's just like we are we are kind of like the the guys fitting in, uh, you know, you know, the boats and nuts in a Toyota yep. automobile, right? But we don't own the screen. Yeah, yeah, but well, of course, but because we we invest so much into making the artwork good, there's this conclusion that hey, I own this piece, I made this significant contribution, therefore it's mine. But at the same time, it's not. It is mine in that sense. Yeah, I created it, but. It doesn't belong to me. It belongs yeah. to someone else. And, it's and I get it, you know. Because, yeah. like, there were times when I'm hired, just paid by the hour to come up with ideas for stories, for, like, IPs. So mm-hmm. you feel like this is my IP because, like, this is my idea. I wrote it. I did the art for it. I came up with it purely 100% me. You know, all the guy did was, like, he paid for it. And you would think, like, okay, so since this is my idea, I came up with the whole thing. I drew the art for it. I even wrote the words for it. I came up with the name for the characters. I came up with a name for the story. I should have some say in this, right? And you realize, no, you have no say in this at all. They can arbitrarily change anything they want after you hand it over. And like, it's not yours. You can't do anything. Wrong. So even if it's your idea, it's not yours, you know, which is a little strange, but like, that's how it is. Mm. So have you ever thought of creating your own product before? Whereby yeah. you on the product. Doing it right now. Because, <laughs> like, yeah, I have a bit of free time lately, I guess. So, like, I, this is, like, the first time where I, I've i decided, like, okay, I'm going to try, work on my own thing. Uh, it's not, like, a, it's, it's not going to be, like, an IP for, like, a movie or a video game or whatever. It's, it's like, a much more self-contained thing. Uh, yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll be out at some point. When I find the time to work on it, <laughs> it'd be cool. Yeah. 
you know, it's a very different feeling when you're doing it for yourself. Cause like, uh, you know, like I said, there's like the sense of detachment when you're working with other people mm-hmm. and in a way it makes it easier as well for you because you, you don't, you're not as precious about anything. So mm-hmm. like, you, you know, you, you, you throw away things way easier. So for me now, like, I guess you, you kind of say like, I'm on the other side of the table where like, I'm thinking about, okay, I'm going to have to hire animators. I'm going to have to hire, like, you know, I'm going to have to pay for animators to animate, like, this specific character. If I drew him, if I draw him a certain way and he needs a rig, then he need, I need to pay for a rigger. I need to pay for an animator. The animation is going to cost me so much more because it's, like, a complex animation. And all these things start seeping into, like, the blue sky, like, you know, this that part. And you cannot, like, you know, be a separate, you know, artist working on your own thing. And now I start to, like, feel for the people I work with when I draw, like, a character with, like, 50 hands coming up. Somebody's going to animate, like, 50 freaking hands. It's going to take him weeks instead of, like, you know. So, like, I get it. I get why it's difficult for them, the producers, at the same time. But, yeah, it's fun. I, I recommend, like, everyone do this so they know what it's like working with stupid artist that wants like un- unrealistic things because <laughs> <laughs> they are always constrained so speaking of constraints uh power has another question how do you discuss budget with them i suppose with the clients and what oh. if the clients demand too much for the price to be off money stuff yeah um, you you know you i feel like this is like another one of those essential skills you have to get good at um, like you know, nobody wants to talk about money, but like it's like you you gotta take care of yourself, especially as a freelancer. So um, initially, I remember when I first started freelancing for the first time when I did I stopped doing my full time gig, my like job security gig. You know, uh, I would just take every job that off that came my way, and like I knew I was underpaid for like some of them, but like to me it was like is this or zero dollars a month you know and like um yeah you you, you kind of over time realize that like this isn't gonna work i'm not seeing my friends i'm not doing i don't even like this thing anymore like what is what, I, what am i even doing this for you know, why did i join I, I did art because it was supposed to be something i wanted to do but i don't want to do it anymore because the pace sucks um and like especially once you start working where like you you know what it's like to get paid a certain amount of money for drawing. Going downwards is a very difficult thing that not a lot of people, like not everyone would be willing to do. Like, so uh, you have to ask yourself if it's worth it. But anyways, like, so talking about money, you, you, you over time learn how to do this just because you have no choice. So like uh, after a while, I started like learning to turn down work. Um, and then you start to get you know, once you start turning down work, you start to project the energy of like, you know what, I have nothing to lose. It's like, this isn't like, I'm not desperate for the jobs. And when you come off that way, like, I I feel at least clients would be much more willing to negotiate. You know, when you give off the vibe that like, oh, he's going to take it no matter how much I lowball him, you know, then they it's hard for you to negotiate, to even like begin to negotiate. But when you go in with the mentality of like, it's fine if I don't take this project, I don't care. You know, now they are much more like, oh, why doesn't he want to do this? 
now that he doesn't want it, I want, I want him more now that he doesn't want me to do this with him. And then you start to have a bit more like say in like how you negotiate your prices. Mm. Uh, and you know, it's, a, it's also just breaking it down clearly for them. You know, you don't just throw out like a random number. Obviously you want to like tell them what they're getting out of, um, what, what they're getting for the money they paid for. So a lot of this pitch that, for example, uh, they don't go by an hourly rate because it's generally too expensive for them. Because like sometimes you don't know how long it's going to take to draw this art, you know, with all the changes and stuff. They tend to come in with a fixed rate. So like you'd be like, okay, we want this deck done for like an X amount of money. And like, you know, you quote them a price for it and you know, it's like a decent amount of work. So it's like usually in like the, you know, tens of thousands of dollars maybe for like a whole deck. And they'll be always be like shocked. They'll be like, whoa, why is it like, I thought it'd be a couple thousand dollars more. Why is it like $13,000 or like whatever the price is, right? And then you'll be like, okay, let me break it down for you. Like, you know, with this amount of money, you're going to be essentially getting a document that you can bring to like a studio and show them and they will understand the vision of your project. They'll know what it looks like. They can follow the emotional through line, whatever it is. They may even like the art enough that they'll be like, okay, we can even like use this art, whatever the case. You're getting all these out of like, instead. You, you think you're getting one thing, but you're getting like five things instead. So you justify your price to them. And then they'll be much more open to like considering, you know, mm-hmm. and like, don't be afraid to throw a number you think it's feels right for you. Because mm-hmm. like, you know, Maybe as an artist, you think it's intimidating to throw out like $13,000 for a project. But, mm. you know, if you break it down for yourself, like, and I'm sure you've done it before too, you realize it's not that much once you break it down to like living expenses, you know, the months that you're going to spend on it, the hours you spend on it, all these things. Mm. It's, yeah, just don't be intimidated by the initial number. And then like uh, the best thing I've heard like, for when it comes to talking about money is that the best situation that you can can come out of it is if neither parties are happy with the amount you end we end up settling on, because it means that like I compromised and I didn't get the price that I asked for, but the client also compromised and he didn't get as low. As, you know, the best the best outcome is when both parties are unsatisfied. You know, when like one person's happy and the other person is not happy, regardless of who which one it is. Uh, usually the working relationship will be a little bit strange because like the client will be unhappy that he's paying so much and you give him work and he's never going to be satisfied because he's like, I'm paying so much or mm-hmm. like you're getting paid so little and like no matter what, he, he asks you for a tiny thing and you're like, oh, I'm not getting paid enough for this, man. This is bullshit. So <laughs> like, yeah, that's why I mean by like both should be a little unhappy. Mm. I think I think you said a couple of points that um, are pretty interesting there, and I think I, I fully agree with you on that. Um, mainly, you communicated value, like in the pitch deck um, story that you gave, right? You communicated the client was asking, yeah. "Hey, why does this deck cost, you know, a five figure?" Right, and mm-hmm. you broke it down for him, like, "Hey, you know, it's not just a document, right? There's so many things that you can do with this document." Yeah, right? it's not just pictures. Yeah, right. And if you can get, if you can, if all these five things can help you get the project and get a project greenlit you get more funding, right? Exactly. So aren't you willing to pay this amount to invest in that project? Isn't it worthwhile? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that gets them to think again. Um, 
So yeah, that's important. I think I think artists need to know the value of the services that they provide because ultimately, if we reflect it in every single thing, right? uh, our living expenses, you know, maybe rental, internet bills, utility, whatever, insurance, right? Health insurance. Yeah. Exactly. So if we consider all this cost, then our pricing naturally should go up because we got to take care of ourselves as freelancers or solopreneurs or you know business owners, whatever it is. So yeah. you have to be able to justify that because each artist deserves that level of dignity, right? I, I deserve to have like, you know, the client pay me for my basic insurance or, or my, my, my pay my bills, right? Because otherwise then what is the value of my art or what's the value of the work that I'm doing? Yeah. And if you I'm know, global, global this artist. is like a thing that really like affects the industry you work in. So like, you know, we talked a little bit before about how like LA and Singapore has like different like, you know, industries when it comes to like entertainment like and like you know there's a lot of people talking about how like art is not like a very like sustainable career choice in Singapore and like I personally believe like for there, a difference to be made the artists all have to stand up for themselves and like ask for a fair wage not ask for like a, an excessive amount of money just ask for a decent living wage so that you can live a proper life not like starve and like eat and scrim and everything here and there. You know, it's a job just like any other job. And for a change to be made, we are the ones that have to like set the initiative. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's taking ownership, ownership of your career. And, you know, that helps inform the kind of decisions that the artist would take, I would take. Because if I'm in control, then that helps me shape my career. That helps me to determine who are the clients that I want to work with, who are the clients that I do not want to work with. And that's important as well because I, I, when, when an artist has the power to say no, um, that's actually very empowering because uh, he or she is no longer you know, compelled to work just for money because he or she mm-hmm. can work based on, based on what is, is good for their paycheck and maybe it could be in their artistic interest or whatever. Um, yeah. So it's important to take that power back and to, you know, and you know it's also important that you are very objective about your own work you you need to know how much you're worth and a lot of that comes down to like a couple points mm-hmm. for instance like um you know it's like a one of those like old-fashioned ta- taboo things to be like talking about money to your friends mm-hmm. uh, even in the same studios and stuff like mm-hmm. but i'm i'm a firm believer in like being open with the amount i'm getting paid in, within the studio with like people like the same level as me and that's just a matter of like the only one who stands to gain from like everyone being secretive about how much they're being paid is the one that employs every the one that hires everyone you know because he could lowball your friend and you if you know about it and you don't tell him he's never gonna know i don't stand to gain anything i'm not getting the money that he gets lowball the guy that hires us is keeping the money so like mm-hmm. I'm a firm believer and like everyone should be open about talking about how much they're getting paid. And so that at least we have a basic understanding of like, okay, this studio is hiring around the price of like whatever, 40 an hour, 35 an hour, 50 an mm-hmm. hour. So like when I make an offer to the studio, I don't go like, oh, $20 or whatever, you know, thinking mm-hmm. that that's what, assuming that's what everyone's getting paid. And like another thing would be like, you know, being objective about your work makes it such that you know where you stand in the industry. Um, so don't be intimidated. Don't think that just because you like 
oh, I've only started working. This is the first year I've started working. I should only charge $30 an hour because it's my first year. No, you got to think of your art as like a product with a certain amount of value. So naturally, if you think your art is good enough, even if this is like your first job out of the gate, you know, I've known people who like, they are in school and like this is their first freelance gig. They have no idea how to even handle it. And I tell them like, okay, ask for 50 bucks an hour. You, you, you can get this gig. And they do it and they get it. So like their first job right out of the gate, 50 USD an hour, that's a great first gig, you know? So like think of your art not as something like how many years you've worked in like a traditional job, but think of it as like how good it is and how much it's worth to the people you're charging. All right, man. Thank you so much for sharing. But so, um, really, thank you so much because it's 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 still really early in the morning for you. So I, I just want to thank you um, for for coming to the show and just sharing with us, you know, all the stuff that you've just we've just discussed. This, yeah, it's uh, been fun. Hour. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey guys, Rubosaurus Dom here. Thank you for joining us in our Roar. If you'd like to hear more about Southeast Asian entertainment designers and creatives, do give us a subscribe. Join us at Roboservice Draws on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Catch you next time.